Welcome to the third episode of Let's Talk Synth Seriously. In this podcast, you'll get detailed interviews with your favorite artists from several synth-driven genres such as synthwave, retrowave, or as today, synth pop. <laughs> synth pop. Um, we're not talking much about 80s, 90s pop culture. But we're talking gear, studio equipment, tips and tricks for producers and also about developments in the scene. So if you're a synth music producer yourself or you're a dedicated fan of the featured artist, you don't want to miss this for sure. Anybody still mainly using the stock plugins of your DAW and feeling sort of unprofessional doing so? Hmm? Well, that's certainly valid as far as it comes to me. And if it's also for you, I've got news for you. My guess today says he also mainly uses just the stock plugins of his DAW and see how great his music sounds. It's the one and only Ben McGarvey, also known as Minute Taker, with whom I'll be talking today. And there's plenty of interesting information ahead, just as where to begin when you want to have real good music videos, or why it can be a good thing to do an acoustic cover version every now and then. Ben will also tell about his experiences with crowdfunding and how he built his own subscription model without using Patreon. Apart from that, we'll be talking about his music, his engagement in the queer scene and which gear he uses. So, as you can see, there's lots of interesting stuff again to look forward to, but I want to start with something completely different again. Dear synth music artist or fan, only a few days are left until I will record a best of synth 2000. 2022 episode and I want to encourage you to send me short recorded messages in which you just say like hi I'm Mrs. or Mr. X or whatever your name is probably not X and my favorite synth music song in 22 was because of and what I really liked about it was so to all artists or fans who have already done just that I can only say thanks so much for your message. Everybody, to everyone who hasn't, I can only say grab your cell phone and a voice recording app or preferably enter your studio and direct message me on Facebook or Instagram to send me a short voice message with your favorite music wish for the upcoming Best of Synth 22 show. Thank you very much. I think it's really easy. And now we'll open the curtain for some music of today's guest on the show, the one and only Minute Taker. Here's Lead You Home, one single from Minute Taker's new album Wolf Hours. When you're
Ben, I'm so happy to have you on the show. Welcome to Let's Talk Synth Seriously. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's great to be here. Or be on here, I should say. <laughs> Great to have you. Uh, you're an artist who seems to really always try to reinvent the sound he's up to, which I like. And in your portfolio, we find very synth-driven songs alongside also songs which you've recorded all on mainly um, acoustic instruments. And I know that some artists are sometimes afraid to change their usual arrangement methods because they think they might lose their, let's call it, trademark sound then. But you don't seem to have any kind of fears like that, do you? Um, no, I guess at the moment, well, the last few years I've been quite uh, synth orientated. Um, I've been um, kind of, I got into synth wave in a big way over the last few years. And I've always been um, really into, you know, original 80s synth pop. But up to uh, now, like I've been releasing albums, uh, releasing music for about 14 years now. And um, yes, my older stuff um, was um, probably a little bit more, I suppose, alternative pop, I suppose you would say, like inspired by um sorry that's my dog barking in the background <laughs> he's going nuts uh hope you can't hear him too loudly um yeah inspired by you know people like tori amos and bjork uh, so probably a bit more and um like radiohead probably a bit more kind of 90s uh, inspired so um so yeah over the last few years and with my latest album wolf hours i've been much more kind of uh, channeling my kind of 80s synth pop side so uh so yeah you know it's it, it's been an, an evolution over the years you know with, with each album i do something a little bit different and um so i suppose somebody who would just um find my catalog for the first time I might think it's kind of a bit disparate and kind of genre-wise, you know, a bit all over the place. But, you know, that's just because I've been doing it for quite a long time and I've, you know, gone through different phases, I suppose. Yeah, and I think that's really cool because I also always like when artists um, have a journey behind them and they show it in their music they're putting on Spotify, you know? Yeah. I really like that. What would you advise um, artists who think like, oh, if uh, I would really like to incorporate this or that kind of instrument, but if I do, I might fall out of the usual grids of uh, synthwave or electropop or indie rock or whatever? I think, I think it's such a shame to think like that, you know? I think, you know, at the end of the day, just go with your creativity, you know, go with where your creativity takes you and, um, yeah, take it, take a bit of this and that and try something different. And, you know, you can always incorporate these things. You can, you can still, you can still kind of stay within kind of roughly stay within the boundaries of a genre, mm -hmm. um, but also incorporate elements of other genres. You know, I think, I think if you, if you try too hard just to stay, you know, firmly within one genre, I think you, you probably find that you, your music and your ideas are going to go quite stale quite quickly because you're not really allowing yourself to um you know grow and kind of and allowing your music to kind of uh evolve i suppose ah that's nice <laughs> you want to get the dog in i mean maybe the, she's happy then um yeah so can you hear him quite loud on the mic um i don't know why he's going so crazy I think somebody somebody must be at the door or something, but oh, it's I fine. Okay. Uh, I think he's stopped now. Do you think it will be too loud on the take, or will it be okay? No, it's 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 nice. I mean, it's uh, authentic. But let's begin at the beginning, Ben. Uh, maybe you could tell us a little bit about yourself, how you came into music, and how and when you decided to take on the challenge to become an independent artist in the music business. Uh, well, I originally started playing the piano. We used to have this old piano in our basement uh, when I was growing 
growing up. I think it was originally like in the mm-hmm. dining room, and then it was kind of it was kind of uh, t- taken down to the basement, kind <laughs> of to just kind of rot away at some point um, in my dad's workshop. Um, so I'm probably about twelve or thirteen, and I used to find myself going down there and just kind of playing about. You know, I didn't really know what I was doing or anything, but I just started feeling drawn to it. So you know, and then I basically just started writing songs straight away. You know, terrible songs, <laughs> you know, really <laughs> bad songs, but you know, just just a little thing. It was just kind of my little place to escape you know mm-hmm. and um it all went from there really i just kept writing lots of songs and, and then learning other people's songs i used to just sit with my you know discman and listen to like tori amos and you know kate bush and Joni mitchell and work out what they were playing on the piano you know and then you know, I've, I've always played by ear yeah. and um learned their songs and then i started getting a bit more interested in production when i was probably about 17 or something like that and um my friend jake used to produce a couple of songs for me so i got him to show me um how it all worked i think that was with logic at the time and then um, i went to uni um in preston to study contemporary music and um yeah, and then after uni, kind of uh, moved to Manchester and uh, yeah, still writing lots of songs. You know, I've been writing lots of songs the whole time. I've been recording them, you know, since I was about 16, 17 and kind of, um, yeah, not really showing anyone so much, but occasionally. <laughs> and uh, released my first album in 2008, which was called Too Busy Framing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so just kind of been releasing albums and you know, EPs and things since then, really. Yeah, that's a cool story. I mean, that's pretty much the the blueprint for a lot of producers out there, I think. Yeah. Um, there's also a story behind the name Minute Taker, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so actually, that first album I released was, um, I used my own name, Ben McGarvey. I just never really quite liked using my own name. I don't know why. I, I think partly because I was sick of spelling it for people. Because <laughs> <laughs> McGarvey is kind of like, people were, thought I was saying like McCarthy or McGarvey. Okay. <laughs> but um, so I, I decided with my second album that I'd find a, a pseudonym. Because as well, I'm so bad at remembering names. And whenever I hear something I like and, and then, you know, on the radio or something and, I, and then they say it's by the person's name, I just can never remember it. But if they were to say it was by a band name or just like, you know, just like some, something like that, I'd, I'd be much more likely to remember yeah. it. So I kind of got it in my head that it would be better to have like a just a kind of a, a couple of words or something rather than rather than my name so i after like going through thousands and thousands of names and trying to find something that hadn't been taken that i liked um which is really difficult i was actually where i was temping at the time as a minute taker in offices and um and then i suddenly thought oh actually i quite like that name it kind of sounds like simultaneously kind of mundane like someone sitting in a meeting but also kind of a bit otherworldly like it kind of you could like someone like stealing time or something like that so I kind of thought I quite I kind of liked uh, how it kind of could sound either way and I thought I thought it looked quite cool as well when I wrote it down so I thought well I'll just go with that and because it has some kind of personal significance as well so yeah I just kind of stuck with that Yeah, it's it's absolutely nice. I think it fits the music and fits um, all your graphics design, which is also very good on all your albums you have. Oh, thank you. Um, usually when I look up artist bios, I find that many artists also offer services like mixing, mastering, some kind of other music-related things. And I don't find that in your bio or on your website. So have you fulfilled yourself the dream of only living for your music or is there something else that fills your fridge and that we just don't get to notice from your bio? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I, I suppose, yeah, in that sense, I have fulfilled my dreams. <laughs> um, it's, uh, that sounds very kind of grandiose, but um, yeah, basically, yeah, I do music full time. I 
I left my um, kind of office jobs um, about five, five or six years ago. Um, I kind of, yeah, I think since I learned to promote myself, I did like some courses online um, that kind of showed me how to promote my music online and, and um, reach people with Facebook and Instagram adverts. So since I started doing that, you know, I just kind of been building my following and, and the real, um, the real saving grace has been, has been my subscription plan, um, which I set up a few years ago. So um, kind of the, m- most of my um, support for my fans comes through that um, subscription. It's kind of like a Patreon kind of thing, but it's, but I did it on my own website, so I don't have to pay all the fees. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that, and then I, and then like, obviously there's the record and CD sales and you get a bit from the streaming and, um, you know, bits and bobs, but yeah, the, the kind of the lion's share of it comes from that subscription. So that's what allows me to basically spend my days making music and well, I say spend my days making music, but an awful lot of my time goes into all of the admin that comes with it. <laughs> yeah, sure. So yeah. Uh, probably spend more, much more time doing that than making actual music. But but yeah, at least I at least I'm you know doing what I always wanted. You know, so um, so yeah, it's good. Yeah, I mean, for many people, I think it's the dream to only live for and with and from the music. But how much is dream and how much is nightmare? <laughs> well, yeah, it's. I think it, it can be. It's all all of the admin and pr- promotion. You know, can be quite overwhelming. You know, it really does take a lot of work to do all that. So yeah, I suppose uh, it's funny, you know, because whenever people ask me what I do and I say I'm a musician, they they just assume that I'm just like touring all the time or something, or I'm you know at yeah. least playing lot you know lots of gigs around the area and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, I haven't played a gig in years, and <laughs> so I've kind of I've just really, especially you know since COVID, I've just really moved to doing it all online, and um, it's great. I, I think my biggest challenge with it is is most motivation because I think it can be quite difficult to, to stay motivated when you're you're just managing your own time completely and you've basically got like no deadlines and you know it's uh, it, it can be it can be difficult and, it, and it's quite easy to get demotivated I find as well if I'm just if I spend like weeks doing all the admin stuff and then I don't, I'm not really being creative and making music I start kind of feeling more and more like I, I can't be bothered so I really have to force myself you know and then then as soon as I kind of because um, I can't kind of if I leave it a while since I've been working on songs I kind of almost get like this mental block where I, I feel like I don't know like it's hard to go back to it like I don't I don't know I never quite understand why it's so difficult but I but I know that as soon as I do and I start working on something especially if it's something I've already started I'll just kind of get completely engrossed in it in no time and then that'll be it mm. and and I'll feel great again and I'll be like oh why don't I just do this all the time but um so so yeah it's, it's always a bit of a, a balancing act I suppose Two of the most loved artists in synthpop or synthwave must be Minute Taker and Color Theory. When they decided to do a collaboration together, it was so successful that the second collaboration single, Just an Echo, was only a matter of time. While the first single, I've Seen You in a Dream, was a beautiful ballad, their second cooperation, Just an Echo, was quite a bit more up-tempo and has some ABBA feel, I would say. I grew up in Germany in the 80s, where the fake Jamaican Goombay dance band was very popular at the time. And Just an Echo also reminded me quite a bit of that, and so that song evokes so many great memories and maybe also in you. Here's Just an Echo. It's just an echo, it's just an echo, the end of a shadow, it's the last stop on the road home. Like there's a fog 
about your music and uh, many artists say that they do 80s influenced music then when you take a closer look you realize well huh? i don't think it would have actually sounded like that in the 80s and you in the contrary seem to be really really settled in the 80s music pop sound and it even goes so far that you involve authentic production techniques of the era like gated reverbs and generally i would say a very 80s sounding fx aura um, seems like Like you have really studied the grants of the pop music of the 80s in detail, have you? Not really consciously, you know. I um, I listen to an awful lot of 80s music. Like probably like 90% of the music I listen to is is kind of older stuff. You know, it's either kind of it it tends to be 80s, but also kind of. I listen to a lot of the kind of more synthy 70s stuff as well and uh, and 90s of course so yeah I just spend so many time listening to all those old records um, that yeah I think 
I think it just kind of gets ingrained, mm. you know. <laughs> and I have been, I've, of course, I've been listening to them my whole life as well, you know. Like I've, uh, I was, I was obsessed with 80s synth pop in the 90s when it was like really uncool. <laughs> and uh, everybody, you know, it's like a dirty secret, you know, that you couldn't really tell people, you know, because everyone was listening to Blur and Oasis, and I was listening right. to you know the Pet Shop Boys <laughs> and Tina Turner. So, so it was, uh, so yeah, you know, it's, I know that feeling, but with 80s metal, you know. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's been a lot of. Um, it's, it's kind of got ingrained over the years. So, yeah, I, I, and I don't know, like, it's interesting that you say that, actually, that, that you think my stuff sounds authentically 80s, because I don't, I don't know, like, I, I wouldn't, I would have thought maybe it sounds a bit more like modern 80s, if that makes sense. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. But I would say especially the effects is, is very 80s sometimes, um, especially on your new album, Wolf Hours. But I think we're talking later about gear and stuff you use and so on so yeah i think um some of those actually i think some of those effects you're referring to on wolf hours probably came from matt aslanian who mixed the album um so, ah, yeah I so okay. i i basically produced the album and then i i did like um i did my mixes which i sent to matt which he kind of unraveled a bit and and then kind of added his own effects and things so i think he's he's got some of those really nice kind of retro sounding delays and gated drums and things so i think some of those might have actually come from him very nice uh, you've made also remixes for Erasure and Yazoo songs, and those have been accepted as official remixes by the mentioned artists. I imagine that's not so easy to achieve. So how did you manage to do that? Uh, so a friend of mine, um, Steve, was um, who works with Alison Moyet, was was uh, speaking with BMG, and they, um, yeah, the, I, I'm not quite sure how it happened, but he, he basically got me that first remix for um, Yazoo, uh, Winter Kills, which would have been about four or five years ago. Um, and then, yeah, and then it was him again with the Erasure uh, remix of Home, a year or so after that so yeah they both they were both basically commissioned by the the label and then obviously obviously they had to get approved by the artist so it was uh it was an amazing um experience to kind of delve into all of the you know original studio outtakes and things it was fantastic i'd really love to do more actually yeah and uh, did you also get feedback from the artists uh, themselves yeah i got a little bit of feedback yeah positive yeah so it was uh yeah it was good it was uh kind of surreal really after you know all those years of yeah listening to the songs and listening listen to those artists so yeah it was really cool so let's switch gears a bit and let's talk uh, about music video production i think that talking about minute taker is utterly impossible without talking about your fantastic music videos you've got some of the greatest clips out there i think oh thank you and they are so incredibly professionally executed and they tell stories and uh, like in the video for lead you home which reminds me a bit of uh, the jonah louis video for stop the cavalry oh yeah yeah and it it gives me the goosebumps all the time when i watch it it's so nice and um, to me there are many many question marks in regard to your videos um how do you finance things like that i mean these are really big productions and where do you find a service provider or actors uh, and how do you make them understand your aesthetics that you are going for i mean not not everybody knows that retro twist you know <laughs> yeah yeah um yeah so just tell me everything <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let me let me just unpick that. So all of these videos from my latest album, Wolf Hours, were a part of an audiovisual show I made a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. um, the 
the project, it was it was funded um, primarily by um, the Arts Council here in England. And I also had some support from a local uh, art centre called Waterside Arts and, um, and also um, Superbia, who are an organisation connected with Manchester Pride. So I had some funders there. And yeah, I, I basically put this audiovisual show together with the idea that I'd work with a series of directors and filmmakers animators um to work on kind of visuals for some of my songs so yes some new songs which became the songs for wolf hours and some of my older songs so that kind of uh, all came together a few years ago and i i toured it over here in the uk Uh, so so yeah that's basically how it happened um the lead your home video was directed by a guy called john lockland who's a friend of mine and um yeah he also did a video for my song Not Afraid and then um, actually some of his students because John's also a um, a film teacher tutor Mm -hmm. uh, Portsmouth University I think he might have moved now actually but um, he was at the time Uh, so actually and some of his students actually worked on some of the other songs um, such as The Darkest Summer which was directed by Joe Stringer and um, yeah and I also worked with an uh, animator called Kirk Sylvester who did some really cool kind of stop motion uh, animation for a few of my songs and yes yeah, so I I actually performed all the songs live during the show and then had the visuals you know playing on the screen so it was kind of like a it was kind of like a quite a, 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 quite cinematic but then I was kind of playing the the songs by the side of the um, screen so yeah that's kind of how it all happened really so I actually did you know have some decent funds to to and you know and uh, and also you know a lot of the um people involved you know really you know were just very enthusiastic and you know went out of their way to kind of make it happen so it was really lovely actually yeah that sounds really cool and um how did you script the videos i mean for example lead your home it really tells the story so you have a you have to have a script um yeah so actually lead you we, we didn't actually have any scripts per se for any of the video but we did have you know kind of like a sequence of events most of which was what actually happened but then you know there's also other things that happened along the way you know just when we were filming that we decided to incorporate mm-hmm. but lead your home the idea of making it world war one soldiers was actually um the idea of the director john lockland and um yeah because my original idea for that song was to kind of have i knew i wanted like um because when i was writing the song i was kind of you know so, sometimes when i write songs i have like almost like the music video playing in my head you know not not always but with that one in particular i kept imagining like a an older man kind of wandering through wintry landscapes and uh, but then, then this younger man from his past who who was now deceased kind of watching over him mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was sung from the perspective of the of the younger man um so yeah that idea kind of fed into John's World War 1 soldier idea and we decided to make it about these these kind of these two soldiers who had this um attraction to each other that they were never really able to act upon because of the you know the times and um yeah and then and yeah we decided to have it set between the 80s and yeah and and world war one period so we could see um the um soldier as a young man and as an old man Mm So yeah, so it was kind of we, you know, we had all these ideas and the, and the the rough sequence of events, and then and then you know some of it was kind of uh, just kind of ad libbed, you know, on, at the time when we filmed it. And the actors were also brought by the directors and so on. Yes, that's right. Yeah, John and um, his partner James Lucemore, mm-hmm. who um, has also done a couple of remixes, actually really cool remixes for Wolf Hours. Um, they 
yeah, casted it all. They produced those um, those two videos they worked on and did all of the casting and location scouting and costumes and all that kind of thing. So now that you've gone all through that whole procedure, um, if there's somebody listening now out there who says, so oh, I would really like to invest more time and perhaps also quite a bit of money <laughs> into my video clips. So what would you advise? Where do you start when you want to do that? Yeah, it's not an easy question to answer, really. Firstly, I would say, like, I don't know how important video is now, um, which, I mean, f for me, I really, whenever I make videos, it's usually just because I really, really want to actually create the video, like, you know, just in the same way that I have the drive to make the song, you know, I, I have the drive to make the video because I have these, you know, ideas for visuals and I can just kind of imagine it all and how it would work together. So, so yeah, firstly, I think, you know, you don't necessarily need videos for songs, you know, in, in the Spotify age, you know, and actually... You know, there's there's an awful lot you can do without music videos. But if you you know, but if you do want to make one, I would say like I, I really got into a few years ago, well probably about ten years ago, I, I kind of started getting into video editing. I just kind of taught myself how to do it. I think I was using like Sony Vegas or something at the time. I use Final Cut Pro mm -hmm. now. I also use a bit of um, DaVinci. But yeah, I think that you know a lot of them are much for muchness. I think if you can kind of learn how to start editing the videos, I think it starts to really give you a sense of what visuals work of your songs you know because because what i how i kind of learned was I'd, i'd take like clips of old movies and stuff and i'd kind of sync them to my songs and i'd cut up the movies so that kind of they worked how i wanted them to work with the song you know and, and you can really kind of start to get a feel for how the visuals can aid the concepts and the storytelling you know within the within the music and lyrics and uh, how they can just kind of all work together so yeah i i've had a lot of fun doing that over the years and i think you know you do start to really get a sense of what works with your music mm -hmm. And then, of course, it, it's also very useful because because I do a lot of the editing as well. Even when other people make the videos, not not with Lead You Home, actually, I didn't do any editing on that. But, you know, it's, it's very useful just to be able to do all that side of things, um, you know, because all those kind of things, you know, can be costly. And, and it, I think it's really it's really good to be able to do it yourself because you can yeah really just have you can really explore those kind of emotional peaks and kind of that relationship between the visuals and the music um so yeah that, i think that's kind of a good way to start getting into it but um but as for funding it like i, I think there's, there's so much i mean there's so much you can do just even on your phone i mean or, or even just you know just just rent a, a video camera you know you can rent decent cameras for like i don't know maybe like 50 100 quid a day or oh. something you know it's been pretty decent and um you know you don't have to have massive production values you know really you know simple ideas can sometimes work the best you know so sometimes having those restrictions and just having you know a very small budget can actually be quite inspiring because you have to kind of you have to kind of be ultra creative you know to think of inspiring things you can do with the kind of um with what you have you know so when you've done that for quite a time and then work with a professional team is it um, a feeling of relief that you really can uh, give some of the work to others or is it also a, a feeling like oh hopefully they do it right and hopefully the aesthetics will be like i wanted to have this yeah it's kind of a bit of both like I think it can be quite stressful. <laughs> I, I'm a bit of a control freak when it comes to my music. like So it, it can be quite difficult to hand things over to other people. Even even people who are very, very good at what they do, they don't necessarily get your vision for something. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they, they could be the best director or the best editor in the world but they don't necessarily just get your particular vision for that visual. So it's it can be quite difficult, you know, to collaborate and uh, and to know kind of where the line is you know in terms of how involved you can really be and how much kind of free reign you need to give to people mm -hmm. i can completely understand <laughs> <laughs> 
while we're speaking about your video clips, let's talk about another topic that's a very important part of your personality and also of your artistic oeuvre, and that is that you're part of the queer scene. Yeah. Uh, some of your video clips show um, a love story between men, and generally you're also pretty open in your communication about your own sexual orientation. So when you began publishing your own music and your own songs, was it already clear for you that you would also like to include songs about um, being gay, gay love stories, gay life? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 been something that I've always wanted to explore, you know, through my lyrics. And, you know, when I was growing up, like mm -hmm. I always desperately wanted to find find that in the lyrics of the artists I listened to, you know, and you just and it was just it was just so rare to ever really get that. So it's always been something I wanted to be open about with my own music, just be very, you know, never be never be scared of just, you know, going there with it, you know. And um, so, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's something I really want to do with the visuals for the new album, like uh, the whole concept of the Wolf Hours audio visual show was to explore the psyches of gay men at different points in time over the past century or so so um so yeah i really i really like exploring you know those stories between gay people you know that perhaps were you know never known you know because of circumstances and it's just something that has always interested me and um Yeah, I really enjoy exploring it with my visuals and with the lyrics too. I think there are not many videos where you can find this. I mean, uh, I think many of your fans will be very glad to find possibilities to identify with your lyrics, your videos, and they might find a part of their own lives in your artistic statements. Yeah, hopefully. But I can also imagine that you might all get all sorts of hate comments from people who just cannot stand to see a man kissing a man in a music <laughs> yeah. video. It's It's funny actually it's, it still surprises me when I do get that because I think um, you do forget that you know some people are still quite homophobic in this day and age I think uh, it, I think you know when you when you just don't really mix with anyone in day-to-day -day life who would be I think you just forget that there are people out there who are you know who, who are like that but yeah sometimes I do get those kind of comments and nasty stuff that kind of remind reminds me of some of the things that people used to call me at school in the in the 80s and 90s and stuff you know and people mm -hmm. will post it on my Facebook and stuff and I'm just like I just kind of report them to Facebook I don't know if Facebook does anything but hopefully they you know block them or something I don't know <laughs> and also do you also get peer um, comments from from the other side <laughs> I mean that people say that they've really found something that is important to their life and where they can find themselves oh yeah yeah I do and uh, yeah and it's wonderful to get those messages yeah I think um, you know when you really get the sense that You know, somebody's connected with, you know, the work you've done and, and maybe, you know, that it's kind of connected with a, a part of themselves that, you know, maybe they don't really get to connect with much in art. I think that's, yeah, it's a lovely feeling. You see that I really love what you do and I don't want to be too heretical. And I really hope you're not angry about my next question. But <laughs> please allow me to ask, how important do you think is the fact that you are um, making... Um, gay life publicly um, also important for your business. I mean, would you say beside that it's just who you are, it's also a business factor? I think it is in the sense that I, I know my demographics, you know, like, like anyone who, who knows how to promote their music will have a sense of who their audience is. And I have learned over the years that, you know, my music does seem to attract Uh, a gay audience, an LGBTQ audience, not solely, of course, you know, I think probably even less than 50% of my listeners are LGBTQ, but I think if, uh -huh. but in terms of, you know, um, 
the proportion of them in relation to the proportion of people in the general population, it's it's a lot higher. Um, so yeah, I suppose it, it helps from that sense. But I think as well, you know, it, it can go the other way because I think some heterosexual people might find it more difficult to, you know, find themselves in the storylines in those videos, you know, because it is because it is gay men. It's interesting, I think, because, you know, when you are gay, you know, and you grow you basically grow up having to find yourself in the narratives of heterosexual people in films and uh and art and you know you, you kind of have no choice because there's just so well, especially back then you know in the 80s and 90s there was so there was so few storylines that i was exposed to as a child you know that would w- that would center around gay people and, and often if if there were then they were they could be quite negative mm-hmm. um so so yeah i think it's interesting that some I think heterosexual people probably never had to do that, you know, because they, because obviously there's just so much out there, heterosexual love stories and, and you know, about heterosexual relationships in, in films and things. So they would, they would, they would never have to really find themselves in, in the cat, in gay characters. So it, it's interesting. So I think, yeah, from that, from that perspective, it could perhaps work against me, but, but, you know, you just gotta, you gotta make the art you want to make, haven't you? And, and, and express the things you want to express and just hope that, you know, people will connect with it. Absolutely. I think that's why art is on this earth, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. In 2013, Minute Taker released his album Last Thanks, which contains one of my favorite Minute Taker songs of all time. Wait For Me is a prime example at how Minute Taker combines looped acoustic instruments and synthesizers with his atmospheric vocals. This song is absolutely mesmerizing. So here's Wait For Me.
Um, so let's come to something different again and uh, let's talk a bit about equipment. I know that many um, are listening to this podcast because they really want to know about the little studio secrets of their favorite artists. And uh, I have the impression that you're a multi-instrumentalist. Is that right? How many instruments do you play? Well, I, I mainly play piano um, and sing. They're my two main instruments. I play a bit of guitar, but I'm not very good. I've kind of, I kind of, <laughs> I go through phases of playing it a bit and then I don't play it for years and then I'm terrible again. So I never, I never really got great on it. You know, I, I can play, I can play a, a few songs I've written myself, but that's about it. Um, and sometimes if I need a guitar part, I'll often just demo it myself and then get somebody else to play it better. But other than that, you know, I play the glockenspiel, which is obviously similar to the piano and, um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just some percussion and things. I actually bought a theremin recently. <laughs> ah, cool. <laughs> Not realizing just quite how difficult it is. It is the most it difficult is. thing I've ever tried. And um, yeah, I kind of, I thought I would be obsessed obsessed with it and be playing it all the time but actually I, I played it for an hour or so and I was like oh my god it's it's really frustrating just to be so bad at something <laughs> yeah same on my side I had a theremin too and I think I tried it for a week and then almost crushed it against the wall yeah because the worst thing is even when you kind of learn you know all of the positions you know because you, you're basically making shapes in air aren't you in, in just in mid air yeah. to get all the sounds even when you learn that like if you move it the whole thing has to recalibrate and then you have to and then everything changes again so you have to learn all new positions <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is, I think I'll just use it for sound effects. <laughs> Do you know Carolina Eich? He, she's uh, having YouTube videos with her theremin and she plays really great stuff. I think she also played uh, Kate Bush songs oh, wow. on the theremin. Oh no, I'll have to have a listen. And it, it looks so easy with her. And then when you try it yourself, it's like the, the perfect fiasco. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I'll have to check out her stuff. I, I am still glad I bought it though, because it looks really cool in my front room. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so which theremin do you have? Do you have the Moog, Moog one or? Yeah, the Moog. Yeah, I can't remember what the, the model is. It's uh, it's kind of long and this white. X-shaped. Is it the Moog one? Yeah, is it maybe Mini Moog? Mini Moog, is it? No, I mean, no what we're talking about. It's a theremin. Mini theremin. Theremini. <laughs> That's what it's called. Yeah. Let's take your newest album, Wolf Ars, as, as the prime example. What was the most important gear you've used on it? And uh, I mean instruments, but also effects, all sorts of stuff. Um, so I use, synth-wise, I use Diva a lot. Ah, okay. Um, I really like that one. Yeah. Um, I actually got that probably towards the end of recording Wolf Ars, so I kind of went back and kind of redid quite a lot of the synth parts with that synth, because I was like, oh, this one's... Because I was, I've got like a micro Korg that I've been using for years um, mm. so I, I used that initially on quite a few things and then just um, other kind of software simps that I had within Cubase and things I use a lot of effects wise like I use quite a lot of distortion on guitars so I, one, one thing I like to do is kind of because I'm probably because I'm quite a ropey guitar player is to kind of really drown my guitar parts in effects <laughs> so like <laughs> lots of distortion and uh, kind of virtual guitar amp settings and reverb so yeah big distorted guitars and often quite a lot of distortion on the drums as well and big you know gated reverbs i used i used quite a lot of slapback delay on my vocals uh which is quite retro i think and um and then yeah you know and then sim yeah then, then the kind of similar uh delays on the drums you know for that kind of gated drum sound i totally love that and it sounds so i mean like early digital delay stuff it's so cool yeah what do you use 
I mean, we can really go to detail here. This is, <laughs> let's talk synth seriously, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think. I think I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not really one of these people who's like, you know, gets too attached to particular effects units and stuff. Like, I'm not, okay. I'm, I, I basically just kind of find things that I like, like within Cubase, like I'll just you like use some of the stock reverbs and stuff, but I'll really fiddle about with that particular reverb I use until I get the sound I want. So I'll just, and then if I like for that, for instance, for the slapback delay setting on the vocals, I just use one of the Cubase reverbs, but then I found like the exact setting that I liked that worked on my voice. And then I just kind of kept using that on all the different songs. So, um, so yeah, I'm probably, um, I'm, I'm not really, uh, yeah, that good at being like, you know, oh, I have to have this specific reverb, or, you know, of this model and this blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, I just kind of find things and then like, yeah, that sounds good. And then just kind of use it for the different songs. <laughs> uh, I'm very happy to hear that you're using Cubase. I'm using it too. <laughs> oh, cool. You don't, and, I don't uh, seem to find many Cubase users now. But. Yeah, right. It, that's my next question. I mean, it has been um, a little bit out of fashion recently. And most people, I think, are using Ableton and other stuff. Why do you stick to Cubase? Yeah, uh, well, to be honest, I think Adore's Adore. You know, they're all pretty much homogenous, aren't they? I think I just like mm -hmm. I just like to stick with what I know. Like I've been using Cubase, I think, probably since... I think it was since I went to uni, like about 20 odd years ago. So I just kind of stuck with it. Mm -hmm. Originally, yeah, originally I learned Logic, I think, and then I switched to Cubase, but they're pretty similar anyway. At least they were then. I haven't used Logic for years. I just think, you know, you can really get so hung up about all of the, you know, about the door and all of the different plugins and stuff. And and um, and I just think, you know, I just want to, I just want to know where things are so I can just concentrate on being creative when I get the inspiration, you know. So I just like having it all there and being familiar enough with things so I can just kind of make it ha all happen. So I'm not really one for kind of um, obsessing too much about the gear and things. I just kind of want it to be something I know how to use well enough that I can quickly just get ideas down. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the reason why I'm using Cubase too. I'm using it since 1992 or 1993 started on an Atari ST and uh, it's just the uh, stuff I know. There's one instrument that seems to be very precious to you and that's the old piano I think we talked about. We, we see it on so many Minitaker photos and videos and even on one album cover. Oh yes. Yeah. What, makes, what makes it so special to you? Is it the nucleus for your composing or what's it that always draws you to that piano? Uh, yeah, I don't know really. I've just I always loved the piano, you know, and it's and it was, you know, it was my first kind of love, you know, when I started getting interested in music, you know, I just started playing the piano straight away. And, you know, that was, I wasn't really interested in listening to music as well until I was in my early teens. Like I used to be obsessed with drawing everything, you know, I used to be really into visual art, you know, so I say visual art, you know, I was like nine. So it was like drawing cartoons and things of, uh, of things on TV. But, you know, mm -hmm. I was just, I used to just take a sketchbook everywhere with me and that was kind of my thing. And then I started getting more interested in listening to music and and playing music around the same time, probably when I was about 12. And uh, yeah, so I just, I think the piano has just always been like my little safe place, you know, that where I can just kind of go and be creative and and uh, make up little songs and melodies and things. So yeah, and I just, I just love the sound of it as well. And I love the sound of a piano with character, you know, not necessarily uh, the best kind of, you know, m most pristine sounding piano. Like I like pianos that just sound a little bit out of tune and, you know, and yeah. just have that and a little bit of, have that kind of warmth of just, of just, you know, their own sound that's kind of, they've kind of fell into over the years, you know. So I've, um, and in fact, for, for years, I would only ever record like a proper piano on my songs, which, which was sometimes just so 
difficult. Like it's it's really difficult when you've got quite a busy mix and you and you and then you're recording real piano and you're trying to get it to mm-hmm. kind of stand out, you know, and in the mix. It, it it became really problematic. So I have kind of over recent years just started using more software pianos. Um, like I use this one called Addictive Keys quite a lot, and um, but yeah, I still but I still try and use the the main the, like an actual piano for the more kind of stripped down songs. But then there's all the problems as well of you know all the little pedal noises and clicks and things which which kind of sound you know they sound good when you talk about it and you know it's always all adding character. But in reality, often when you record it, it just sounds like weird glitches on the on the recording. <laughs> so you're like so you end up spending a lot of time trying to get rid of those because they don't really particularly sound like a a nice little piano click. They just sound like an error. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it must be an, a horror to mic a real piano, right? Yeah, I tend to just use a, a pair. Of, I've got like a pair of balanced um, road mics for left and right, and then maybe just have um, like my main vocal mic I use is a Rode NT2, so maybe just have that in the middle just to get kind of yeah. And then you kind of just hard hard pan the left and right ones, and then have some of the middle ambience from the main overhead mic, and then play about with the EQ a bit. So yeah, it's it's often I've never really found anything that works consistently in terms of like the EQ and stuff. It just really seems to depend on song to song and probably on the, on the exact positions of the mics and stuff, you know, from day to day. So it's always a bit of a fiddle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I find it very interesting. Online, we find also videos where you create really big arrangements only with the loop stations and acoustic instruments and uh, you record it live, like your um, acoustic Pet Shop Boys cover Hard, which is <laughs> Absolutely incredible. Oh, thanks. I've got two questions. First, why the heck are you doing this? I mean, it must just be painstaking work. And then how much time of preparation goes into such a project until it's ready for recording? Yeah, I don't do so much of it these days. But yeah, about um, five or ten years ago, I used to do an awful lot of looping and in my live shows as well. And yeah, it is it is a lot of rehearsal. Like it's basically just playing, you know, the song over and over again. You know, obviously working out every single step, you know, when you have to press each pedal and, you know, when you have to move to this instrument and, and just do it over and over and over again until it just becomes, you know, completely second function. You see, you see yeah, that Pet Shop Boys one, for instance, yeah, that was just, I think I'd been playing it for like a year or two by the time I recorded it. So, yeah, it's just, it's just kind of loads and loads playing it over and over and over again and, until it starts to just become, yeah, second function. But then sometimes still things will go wrong. So sometimes in my live shows, you know, it would all go kind of um, tits up and then, <laughs> and then... But, you know, you kind of just... It kind of adds to the entertainment, you know, because then you kind of like... You just kind of say, oh, I'm sorry, it's all gone wrong. And then people laugh and, you know, they get that it's that you're doing something that's difficult, you know, and and some and it's a bit like surfing, you know. <laughs> sometimes you just fall <laughs> off with the best intentions and the best, you know, training. You Sometimes you're just going to fall off. <laughs> uh, it looks like you have recorded the video in a, some kind of school or was it university? It was actually in a rehearsal room um, as part of a theatre. I was, I was actually working on the soundtrack for a theatre show. I do soundtracks sometimes at the time and... Um, I think they let me have it at a weekend. So we just kind of uh, got in at the weekend and, and did a few takes. Uh, yeah, so it's kind of like a dance studio, I think. Yeah, cool. Um, you're also known for doing quite a bit of cover versions. Um, some of them have been very successful recently, like your cover version of Kate Bush's uh, Running Up That Hill that went for almost, I think, 210,000 streams now on Spotify. How do you pick the songs you want to cover and what do covers versions mean to you? Yeah, I think with covers, 
I really, you know, I'm just drawn to some songs because I love them. Like Running Up That Hill is my favourite all-time song. Um, Kate Bush is my favourite artist. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's this song that I just played for years, you know, I just, and I think over the years, I kind of, my arrangement of it on the piano just kind of um, developed and, you know, kind of took form. I like to really, I think when I do a cover, I really like to just make it my own and just do, just to make it as different from the original as I can, but also in a way that still works, if that makes sense. I think I don't really see the point when people do covers and they're just basically mimicking the arrangement of the original you just think well yeah, right. why why not just listen to the original so i guess you know some some songs i absolutely love and i try to cover them but it just doesn't really work because i just don't really have like a fresh perspective on it like an angle for it so i just don't end up doing it so i think yeah i think you know the songs i have done are, are songs that i love but also the ones that actually i did find an arrangement that i liked that, that i felt was different enough to the original to kind of merit doing it so sometimes i've done requests but kind of or ones that you know there was there's certain songs like for instance actually kate bush's song under the ivy for years people kept saying under the ivy you should do a cover of that which was a, it was actually a b-side of running up that hill funnily enough back in 85 so so yeah after a few years of people saying it i thought well, actually let me have a go at that one um, so i thought well you know that that song's actually basically piano vocal um kate's version is so i thought well with that one why don't i try and make it a synth pop version because i kind of did the opposite with running up that hill i made the piano version out of the synth pop so well let's do the opposite so that's what kind of what i did and then and then um yeah that was kind of my and i started playing about on the simps and i kind of got a kind of a direction for it and uh yeah so so yeah you know sometimes i do do requests if but only if you know i i kind of try it and feel like i can bring something to it like i wouldn't want to i think i'd be worried about if i just said to people i'll do requests and you can you know commission me to do a request i'd be worried that maybe they'd ask for something and i'd try it and it just wouldn't be that good so <laughs> and uh, running up that hill i mean the the original version was also in the soundtrack for stranger things and became a hit again yeah did it translate also to your cover version did you see that uh, when it became a hit again that also your cover version went strong on spotify again yeah um i'm trying to think yeah so i released that cover version a few years ago maybe three or four years ago yeah And it has actually been steadily gaining momentum over the years. Like, I think mainly because it's found its way onto kind of lots of kind of piano playlists, you know, piano vocal playlists and coffee shop kind of playlists. You know, I, I think see. that's the beauty with acoustic covers. You know, if it's a recognizable song and you're kind of doing an acoustic version of it, it can find its way onto those kind of playlists. So, yeah, it's become yeah, by far my most played song on Spotify. Not, not that I put a huge effort into Spotify, <laughs> really, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's nice to see it doing so well. But actually, I have noticed there was a, a remix done by uh, Matt Pop a year or so ago of of my cover so and that i have noticed has really gained momentum since running up the hill has been a big hit again and now it's like my second most played song right, uh, on spotify so i've got so i've got my cover as the first most played song and then the remix of my cover as the second most played song <laughs> talking about fans and figures and so on you're not on patreon we've already talked about it um instead it seems you found another twist of getting supporters for your artistic career with your own subscription service called um secret songs yeah um tell us a little bit more about about it and why you decided to go that way instead of just creating an account on Patreon. Well, actually, I originally started it on Bandcamp, you know, because Bandcamp do a subscriptions model, like similar to Patreon. Mm-hmm. So that was that was about, I think it's coming up to five years now. And, you know, at the time, I wasn't really sure if it was going to work that well. Like I came up with this kind of uh, model of, you know, three different tiers and you get different benefits with the three different tiers. And, and this idea that it, it all centers around um, basically material that I have in my archives that I haven't you know, released yet. Um, so it's, it's, um, I thought, well, why don't I do these like really handmade kind of personalized CDs of, of, cause I've got so much music from over the years that I, you know, didn't release. 
and um, I thought I, I kind of I kind of want want to show it to people, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't really want to put it on general release because you know maybe it was only ever ninety percent finished, or you know I've kind of gone past it in terms of you know my kind of creativity at the time. You know, I kind of found I've moved on to something different, but at the same time, I, I would like people who have an existing interest in my music to be able to hear that music. So so yeah, I, I thought well I'll, I'll make these kind of themed albums and I'll do them on these homemade uh, CDs. So I kind of so I did I do them on these like craft card boxes and I stamp them with a secret songs logo and there's there's been nine volumes now so each each volume has a different theme like one of them was just covers for instance and and uh, the most recent one was actually um a kind of alternate version of my wolf hours album so the wolf hours album was the synth pop one which came out a few months ago and i thought uh-huh. i had a lot of different versions of the songs um because i'd been working on the album for a few years and i also had some non-album songs that i hadn't quite finished so i decided to finish those and um and take some of these different um versions of the songs and and make this kind of alternate edition which i've called wolf hours mirror edition so so yeah that's that's basically the theme of it and um and then there's like three different tiers the first tier people get the, all of the downloads and then the second tier people get the the cds and then the third tier they get all of that and also a 30 minute skype session with me every year so so yeah it's kind of similar i suppose similar model to probably what a lot of people use for those kind of things but but it just really took off and um and then i I realized quite quickly that that's probably where i should be putting you know a lot of my focus because it was probably the thing that was you know really going to make the difference you know for you know surviving as a an independent artist and i think probably after after a few months i thought well i don't really want as it grows you know i don't really want to be paying the band camp fees which actually to be fair i think we're only 10 percent i think it's 15 I think it was 15% until you get to a certain amount and then it's 10%. Uh, so it was at 10%, but I thought, well, I could just move it to my website and not pay any fees <laughs> <laughs> apart from the, apart from the PayPal fees or whatever. So, so yeah, I decided to move it to my website and uh, I've still got some people on Bandcamp, but yeah, I also have people who join from my website and then some people joined it through my shop page. So it's, it's a bit all over the place, but, but essentially they all get access to the, to all the perks and, and a face, a secret Facebook group as well, where we kind of chat about our favorite music and stuff and yeah so it's it's been really lovely it's just like a little um you know community of you know fellow music lovers you know it feels like a lot of like-minded people you know we like so much of the same music and yeah it's it's just uh i'm, I'm so glad i did it like and, and, and it's really made the difference for me like in terms of surviving <laughs> in the in the spotify age would you say it's still the way to go i mean um selling physical product has not become easier in recent years and uh, somebody who's starting today would you say you've do it you would do it you would do it sorry you would do it again or would you say today i would do something completely different i think it really comes down to what your priority is you know like i think you know i, I think there's so many things you can get distracted with when you're an independent artist you know there's all these different things you could be doing and people are always saying to me oh why don't you do this and why don't you try and do more soundtracks and why don't you do more remixes and why don't you do this and this and this and sometimes you just have to think well what do i really really want to do like what is the thing that you know that gets me excited that i want to do most and i always come back to the fact that i just want to write and produce songs and share them with people so you know i think so for this works so well for me because it's so all of this material i'm making you know even if it doesn't make my albums and it still could you know appear on a you know kind of a secret songs album and uh, you know all of this stuff i'm working on on all of this stuff i developed over the years that i thought would just kind of 
sit there gathering dust you know is actually people are getting to hear it and i you know i, I write little um scrapbooks with all of the releases as well so i get to write about the songs and the ideas behind them and things um so yeah i think but i think if you're if you're somebody who absolutely just wants to play live then maybe you know that's maybe that's what you want to be doing you know you want to be putting all of your focus into you know building up your audience at gigs and you know touring you know more widely i, I think it really just depends you know what you want want to do you know where you want to put your focus but, but this works well for me because because I just really like sitting at home and making music. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I think your album, Wolf Ours, was also at least partly a crowdfunding project. What were your experiences with the crowdfunding? Would you do it again? Uh, yes, absolutely. In fact, that was my first crowdfunding project. It was about a year ago. <laughs> and again, I, I decided to just do it all myself and not use any of the sites <laughs> because I didn't because I didn't want to pay, pay the fees. But just because basically I looked and I looked at all of the options on these different sites like Indiegogo and all the different ones and, and there was just limitations because this was the other reason I, I decided to move the um, the subscription plan over to my site because I don't like having these limitations that you get from different sites you know just in terms of how you can present it on the page and you know like the layout and, and just all of this stuff so I basically looked at all the different crowdfunding sites Kickstarter and I looked at all of the fees and I looked at kind of and then you couldn't people couldn't pay by PayPal on any of them I don't think for some reason I think something to do with PayPal have this um, term that you can't pay for something that doesn't exist yet or something like that ah, okay. so oh. I thought oh god well I can't not let people pay by PayPal because I get so many payments through PayPal in my shop so so I thought well that and then I thought well I'm trying to raise my goal was to raise 12 grand and I thought well I think the fees were like 10% so I thought well do I really want to pay £1,200 to a site and then not even be able to use PayPal so mm. I thought well I'll just I'll basically just do it on my shop page and I, I spent a couple of days um, researching how to do it and I found this plugin because one of the things I use Shopify for my shop and I love how you can just there's so many plugins you can get for anything you, you want to do so I found this plugin called Pagefly which basically lets you just kind of build your own landing page you know which I used you know to talk about the crowdfunder and you can really just you know make it look specifically how you want with all of your pictures and videos and, and all that kind of stuff so I spent quite a while doing that and then I found another app that did like a little counter to show that you know the the amount I'd raised as a percentage of the target and um, and how many people had contributed so I kind of just built all that using Shopify and did it that way and um, and it was great and I'm so glad I did it like it I, I went way over the goal I didn't I didn't really know what to pick as my goal because I'd never done one before it's hard to know I kind of thought well I'm just that was 12 grand I think was roughly what I'd spent on the album so I thought well let's just go for that and see if I can if I could just break even by the time I released it then that would be amazing you know because it had been a lot of credit cards and stuff you know to pay for all of the vibe Uh, manufacturing and the mastering and you know mixing and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. so yeah I ended up getting to about 20,000 which was amazing so I actually ended up in profit by the time I'd released the album so great yeah I'm absolutely gonna gonna do that for the next album as well Fantastic. Well, slowly but steadily, we are heading towards the end of our interview. But I have to ask one last question before we come to the five quick questions. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, that's about your cooperation projects. You have collaborated with artists like Bright Light, Bright Light, Megan McDuffie, uh, who will also be on our show, by the way. Oh, cool. In a few weeks' time. Um, Color Theory, who was... Already <laughs> in episode one. 
Yeah, I listened to that the other day, actually. Yeah, I'm, I'm good friends with Brian. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I saw you'd done an episode of him, so I listened to that. Yes, very good. So what makes the ideal cooperation partner for you or by which standards do you choose with whom you want to collaborate? I think, you know, collaborations can take lots of different forms. Like, for instance, like I did two songs with uh, Brian Color Theory um, over the last half a year or so. And, um, and they were very much like, I suppose, what I would class as joint collaborations, you know, where you're actually writing the song together and, you know, you're really creating it together like they, they started as little snippets like little loops that Brian had done of like like I don't know like 10 15 seconds you know it's kind of the, the basis of the song and then I wrote melodies over the top and then you know and then send it back to him and then we worked on the lyrics together and and the arrangements together we had a lot of back and forth so so there's those kind of joint collaborations which is really lovely um, but then like the other two artists you mentioned Bright Light Bright Light and Megan McDuffie it, that, with those it was more a case of I'd already written the songs and uh, produced the songs and i asked them to kind of feature as a guest vocalist um so that's kind of so that's kind of a kind of a slightly different way of doing it um but um i can't remember what the act, exact question was so can you remind me <laughs> i mean how do you choose with whom you want to collaborate well i think you know just artists whose music i, I really like you know and um like with um Rod, Bright Light, Bright Light, for instance, we'd, um, you know, we'd connected on Instagram kind of a, a while before that, you know, and I could just see, you know, straight off that he had, we just like so much of the same music, you know, just from the things he was posting and stuff. So we just got to talking and um, so, yes, and I saw he'd done quite a lot of collaborations um, recently. So I just, I thought, oh, it'd be really nice to get him to sing on one of my songs. So I asked him and, and he said yes. And um, and with Megan, uh, actually, I was I was looking for quite a while because I'd written this song for Wolf Hours, which was, I really wanted, like it was a duet, like in my head, it was a duet, it had to be a duet, you know, and it was written as, <laughs> as two different parts. And uh, when I demoed it, like I just sang both parts and then like pitch shifted up my my voice an octave on the female part uh, or what I imagined to be the female part uh, which sounded kind of weird um, but yeah I was kind of just looking for s someone who'd be a good fit really because it was quite a, it's like it, the song is called Mirror and it's a very kind of dark kind of 80s slightly experimental kind of sounding song kind of ex inspired yeah. by 80s soundtracks and you know kind of like John Carpenter and Goblin and that kind of stuff ah, so um, <laughs> so I was uh, so I really and I kind of thought it'd be so cool to have it as like a, a proper like duet well, there's such a there's such a retro thing to do to have kind of like a mid-album duet <laughs> so i thought um and i just had it in my head that i wanted it to be like a, a female singer with, with quite a kind of high-pitched kind of ethereal voice you know because she's she's basically playing a deceased mm -hmm. wife <laughs> <laughs> so i was I, and i was scouring through you know spotify and all these for different things for a while you know trying to find someone i also realized that the part i'd written was very high like because i hadn't really thought about it from that perspective because i'm not really used to writing for a female voice mm -hmm. so when i started actually listening to singers i was thinking oh actually yeah this part would actually be very top range you know for a lot of singers so um yeah eventually i stumbled across megan's stuff and i, and I could see that she, she had those qualities in her voice and you know that kind of higher range and a really nice ethereal quality but but also, you know, her the music she was making there was kind of really dark eighties. You know, some of it's kind of like cyberpunk, and you know. So I thought, oh, she seems like a really good fit. So, so yeah, I asked her if she'd do it, and she said yes. Yeah, cool. So let's explore the darker corners of the Minute Taker catalog with Mirror, a duet from Minute Taker with Megan McDuffie, who you're going to hear an interview in this podcast in 2023. The arrangement shows again Minute Taker's great experience in combining acoustic pianos with all sorts of synth sounds. So here are Minute Taker and Megan McDuffie with Mirror from the new album Wolf Hours. 
Five quick questions with five <laughs> short answers, please. This is the moment where my interview partners are usually getting the shivers down their spine. <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm getting all those comments like, oh my God, what a hard question. So <laughs> I'm just going to hang up if I don't like the question. I'm like, bye. <laughs> <laughs> so we're starting now. If you could only keep one synthesizers, uh, synthesizer, and it's also valid for VSTs. Okay. Uh, which one would it be and why? I think I'd probably keep Diva. I've just, I've just really, I've only had it like a, a couple of years, but I've really, it's really become my go-to synth, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I think I'd, uh, I'd, I'd stick with that one. Uh, which band or musical project has impressed you the most in the last 12 months? Um, well, you see, because I predominantly listen to <laughs> older music. <laughs> Actually, I must say, I absolutely love The Weeknd's latest album, Dawn FM. Ah, cool. Um, it's yeah. very kind of, very kind of, synth wave orientated um i kind of liked quite a lot of his work before but it's kind of but not all of it but i think this album is just from start to finish it's just brilliant i think because it's i think i've tended to like the ones in the past that he's um that have been written co-written and you know produced by max martin um, and i think he's basically been like executive producer on this whole album it's just so good so i've listened to that an absolute ton and actually this this is um and kat von d's album as well which i, I only discovered a few weeks ago i think because gunship had done a remix of one of her songs in fact yeah she sings on one of one or two of the gunship albums um and um yeah i just uh, i just heard it on spotify and bought the vinyl straight away because i was like oh my god this is amazing so yeah i've been i've been obsessively listening to that for a few weeks as well it's it's such a good album okay so what would you like your fans to associate with you and your work um ooh, that's a difficult one i suppose <laughs> I suppose a sense of escapism and nostalgia, like hopefully like a warm nostalgic feeling, um, rather than like too much of a sad nostalgic feeling. Yeah. Um, and you know, just I suppose I'd like them to associate, you know, having songs that they can connect with, you know, that make them feel something that mm. you know, just feel songs that they feel like connect with something they've felt themselves. Or, so yeah, I suppose that's it. And what would you like your fans to associate a little less with you and your work? I think. As much as I like doing the covers, I think sometimes I like I wouldn't want to be known as a covers uh -huh. artist. 
And sometimes it does worry me that like, because the covers do do really well. And like, and like for instance, the running up that hill cover does so well on Spotify and stuff. But I just, I do worry that when people stumble across me, they might just think I'm a covers artist, you know, because they see those at the top of the, you know, playlists and things. So I, I wouldn't want, I wouldn't want people to just think I'm a covers artist because as much as I love doing covers and, and kind of, um, and, and, and taking songs and kind of make, making them my own as much as I can, like really my, my main focus is always my own songs, you know. Yeah, and people would miss so much when they only listen to your cover versions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I mean it. Um, what do you think will be the most important change in the music scene in the next five years or so? Mm, I don't know. I've never been very good at predicting these things. <laughs> I'm usually a bit behind when it comes to these things. You know, something will be trending, you know, for like two years before I get on it. You know, I'm like, oh God, <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> I'm still not on TikTok. <laughs> um, I think people people's attention seems to be becoming you know the, the attention spans seem to be becoming shorter and shorter like it's all becoming about like these tiny little video clips and and then even like the radio edits of songs are going down aren't they to like two minutes and things so yeah. I feel like everything's just getting shorter and shorter so but but then I suppose you know often when this happens and we get a bit of a, a rebellion against that don't we and it starts to go the other way so so I don't know like in ter and in terms of all the platforms and things I mean who knows like I'm, I'm sure Spotify will continue to dominate it would be amazing if they could you know maybe find a way to pay artists a bit more fairly um but you know i don't know i mean i know it's a very it's a very difficult subject you know i'm sure it's very complex you know and um and i'm i'm sure i'm sure there's a there's an awful lot to it but it would be nice to get paid a little bit more per stream you know <laughs> yes sir <laughs> because because it's it's such a it's such a you know there's it's basically just you know a handful of artists who make the majority of the streaming income isn't there so and and there's i think there's just so, there's just you know so many artists on spotify who don't make you know who just make hardly anything at all in streaming but you know i don't know it, it just feels like um maybe it could be probably you know just a <sighs> just rejigged a little bit so it's just a bit fairer you know even a penny a stream you know a penny a stream would be great i thought what, what yeah. is it now like a, a third of a penny or a quarter of a penny or something like what? yeah a third of a penny is uh, at least with me that's the way i'm going mm. yeah it would be nice just if they found a way just to make it a little bit fairer but um but yeah i get that it's complex you know and there's, there's all sorts of things to consider all right so thanks a lot ben no you're welcome it has been a huge pleasure talking to you and uh, hopefully talk again someday it has been a lot of fun talking to you yeah it's been lovely speaking with you thanks for having me so that was it the interview with ben mcgarvey also known as minute taker last but not least please allow me a tiny little bit of self-promotion the following song i made myself and you'll find it when you search for uap on the streaming platforms or on bandcamp the song is called and then i die a little and it's dealing with one of the most puzzling things that can happen to you in life a love triangle hmm. so have fun with and then i die a little my name is Rainer, and in synthwave circles you'll find me as uap and then i die a little because i lie a little
Because I lie a little